0: steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And I said, file that away because we're not skipping it. We're going to come back and spend several weeks with Job hearing about his faith and how he made it through a trial. Hey, God wants to get you ready to go through the fire. And we spent a whole uh, several months in the book of James getting you ready. But now we're going to look at the life of a real person who suffered and we're going to learn from him. Um, Job's life is remarkable. He lived so long ago. Next to the cross, Job is the man who endured the most intense period of suffering in the entire Bible. If his story took place in your world tomorrow, it would be a global headline for weeks because of what happened to him. We we'll learn how to walk by faith during a season of severe suffering. But first, this week, we learn how Job's life and his faith uh, began. What was it like before he experienced this tremendous trial? That's going to get us ready to be ready when our trial comes. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Job chapter 1. The book of Job chapter 1. You're turning back in history likely to the period of the patriarchs like Abraham. The strongest case can be made that uh, Job lived in the, in the time around Abraham or shortly before or shortly after. Um, that's a guess, all right? So if you get to heaven and you're talking to Job and he's like, no, I lived just before Moses' time, don't come and find me and be like, you were wrong. It's a guess. But it's the best guess. So <clears throat> if he lived around the time of Abraham, you're looking at like, he's, he's at the period of history where about Genesis 12 is, all right? So imagine open up your Bible to do your devotions and all you got is Genesis 1 to 12, Alright, and he didn't even have that yet because Moses wrote it. So, so that's his period in biblical history. We're going way back. And yet we see a godly man there. Um, it says in Job chapter one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Not Oz. This isn't, this isn't, you know, what is that? The wizard of Oz. All right, this is Uz. This is a very different place. There's a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Uz was located east of the Jordan. So you got Israel and then you go east of the Jordan and then you've got Uz somewhere. Maybe it's northeast, maybe it's southeast, but it's east of that place. It says here that man was blameless and upright who feared God and turned away from evil. Uh, We get a report card of this guy and it's a really good report. He was a godly man. Um, And he was a godly man before he had all of the spiritual support things in place that you had. He doesn't know about the cross. He can't read the book of Revelation. Awana? Please, Awana's not coming along for like 4,000 years. I mean, what's he going to do? So, yet he was a godly man. And he was a real person. He's mentioned in Ezekiel 14:14 and in James chapter 5 as being a real man who lived a real life, who God did real things for. So he's a real person. This is not allegory. This is not a fable or a fairy tale. It's a story about a real guy. He lived and he was blameless and upright. He feared God and he turned away from evil. Hey, if you want to walk by faith through the fire, write this down before the fire walk with God and turn away from evil before the trial comes walk with God and turn away from evil if you don't have your relationship with God set in a great place before the house falls on your head good luck catching up God will meet you there and he can but too often as we try and shepherd people We found out that people have been wandering away. They're nowhere good with God. Then the pain comes, then the suffering comes, and they run back in and they want a quick fix. They want God to take away their pain now. And when God doesn't do that, they drift away again. Are you ready? Are you walking with God? Are you turning away from evil? It says here that he was blameless and upright. So his behavior displayed reverence. Uh, If you could meet Job... You would think he's one of the most ethical, dependable men in the community. Uh, you would think that he's highly respected. Um, you would think that he's trustworthy. You would feel like he's a good guy. He, uh, we find out in the, in the later chapters that he had some role in the regional government. Um, in chapters 29 to 30, it mentions Job teaching in the community, hearing cases, helping the poor, So there was some social service uh, happening there. You know, government back then in in these um, tribes and in these regions, we're not clear on how that happened. But all we know is Job had regional authority and influence and he was known as being um, an upright and a blameless man. It says he feared God and turned from evil. So with his fellow man, he was blameless. He was upright. With God, he feared him and he turned away from evil. So Job's behavior showed who he was and his beliefs displayed who he was. He he feared God. God was revealing Himself um, since way back in, in like Genesis uh, four. It talks about how just a few hundred years out of Eden, it says then uh, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Okay, so it's not like God slammed the door of Eden shut and then he was like, good luck, you know, behave yourselves until I finally come down and talk to Moses. Okay, he was highly involved in humanity. We don't have a lot of record of it, but we just know that people were capable of finding and serving the Lord throughout the Old Testament. And Abraham knew, here's God, here's who he is, I'm morally accountable to this God, and he knew there was a prescribed way back there, back then uh, by which he could please God. He knew that. And he followed it. He feared God and he turned away from evil. His belief and his behavior both displayed true faith, a man under God's authority, a servant of the Lord. Nothing in his life blatantly contradicted his faith. Uh, He had a right view of God, and he was personally, he was a godly man. This doesn't mean he was sinless. In fact, Job admits in chapter 7, verse 21, that he's had to come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. So he's not a sinless man, all right? But even in his sin, he brought that to the Lord, and he asked for forgiveness. Um, How do you know if you're ready to experience an excruciating life-defining moment. Well, Jesus said that the man who builds his house on the rock of his teaching can survive a hurricane. Job is a man in the Old Testament who was building his life on the rock of the teaching of the Lord that he had heard. He was standing on it. Nothing was pushing him off of that foundation. Can that be said of you? Are you ready? Are you getting ready for the moment when your faith will be tested beyond your ability to endure? I read a story recently. um, the, The headline read this High winds send 1,500 rafters adrift to Canada. High winds send 1,500 rafters adrift. To Canada. We have pictures. Apparently, they have this, like, annual float where all these people get out there and do these makeshift floats, get in their inner tubes, and then drift down this massive river. Well, this wind came up, and they all got blown into Canada. <laughs> the article reads, Canada got an unexpected wave of refugees after strong winds whipped inflatable rafts off course during the annual port here in Float Down. <laughs> It says, Canadian officials rescued about 1,500 people Sunday after strong westerly winds whipped their inflatable rafts off course during an annual float trip on the St. Clair River between Michigan and Ontario, sending them across the border. Uh, Authorities think all the 5,000 people who participated in the 7.5-mile float have been accounted for after chaos ensued with the sudden change in the weather. Authorities said it took 19 busloads to bring people back to the United States. Nobody had a passport on them. (laughs) Forty people were saved from drowning. Very few of them were wearing life vests. (laughs) They weren't ready for the weather to change. And then Canada had to rescue them. If you would like to illegally immigrate into Canada, now you know how. Just participate (laughs) in that next year and, oh, I didn't even know. (laughs) But think about it. The day is coming when your faith will be rocked and are you getting ready now Uh, or are you drifting? Are you drifting farther and farther from the Lord? Are you neglecting when the sun is out uh, the things you need to be building up for when the skies turn gray? It is so important that you worship Christ before the fire, seeing God's glory and His goodness. Too many people drop out of church when they think they don't need anything from God. And they race back after they've neglected years of spiritual growth. They're so weak. They're so weak. They want God to take away their pain, and when He doesn't, they go again, and they leave. That's not what God has for you. You have to worship Christ before the fire. It's so crucial that you walk with Christ before the fire, that you grow strong in faith, that you fill your soul with the word of the Lord. You hide it in your heart so that you might not sin against him. It's so important that you don't walk alone. Too many believers are isolating themselves because they don't want to be burdened with other people's problems. And, And then when their life blows up, they wonder where everyone is. After they've shoved them away and they've not made Christian fellowship a priority one bit, they wonder where everyone's gone. And why no one cares. And it's their own fault. Because they haven't been walking with Christ and others before the fire. Job was in great standing with God. He was active in the community. He was reverently devoted to others, to to his family, and to his Lord. Hey, walk with God and turn away from evil before the fire. Reading on, it says this. In verse 2, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Wow, that's a reality show right there. Ten kids, seven boys, and three poor girls. They were younger. Seven older brothers, three girls. He's a saint already in my book. And he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So he had a massive business. He was the richest man in the land. He had a huge family. And he managed it all well. Jot this down. Manage your household well. Walk with God and turn away from evil and manage your household well. Before the fire, before the earthquake, before the pain begins, manage your business, manage your family well. Manage it wisely. Manage it ethically. So that when the pain starts, there isn't more problems that you've caused with neglect or with, or with lack of uh, integrity. Manage it well. We have to understand just how How much of a uh, regional celebrity Job was? He had so much. Huge family. Many sons to carry on his name. And and he was loaded. We know some Christian billionaire entrepreneurs today, right? If I say the name David Green, you might know that he's the founder of Hobby Lobby. Uh, Billions! Rich and wealthy and loaded, and yet humble and faithful and godly and generous. Or Truett Catholic, Founder of Chick-fil-A, He's passed away recently, but he was known for his generosity, his humility. These men are unashamed about the gospel. And Job would have that same sense of gravity about him. Uh, everyone knew him in the region, and he had everything that everyone wanted. He had the money, he had the family, he had the respect, he had the authority, he had it all. And he was managing it well. It's rare that we find people in the Bible who are rich and godly because money is a rival God. And he was tempted to be greedy or self-sufficient, maybe lazy, maybe worldly, and he passed those tests. He didn't let greed control his heart. He didn't, he didn't sink into the sedentary life. He didn't throw around his influence and boss people around. This was a godly guy who managed his business well. Hey, how are you doing at managing your work in a godly manner Uh, before it's hard. In fact, when it's easy and you can get away with some stuff. How are you doing at managing yourself at your job before you get squeezed by a trial? Uh, Are you walking with integrity? Are you blameless and upright? Are you putting the Lord first in all of your decisions? Those choices matter and you will reap what you sow when the storm comes in and it's hard for you to do what you do. Job had his heart in the right place, even though he was wildly successful. Um, How about your family? Ten kids, seven sons. What is that like? My goodness. He had to be so overwhelmed. He and his wife had to be so depleted as they were growing their family. And yet, he was a godly father who cared for his children. It says in verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a... So they're grown up now. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. All right, they, they launched. He got them out of the house. Yeah, that's a big challenge. They, they launched, and they were doing well. And on his day, each son would send and invite the three sisters to eat and drink with them. So the sisters, maybe they were younger, um, you know, and, and the brothers would each invite the sisters and the other brothers over it. And man, every parent's dream, all ten of his kids are getting along hashtag blessed <laughs> putting these pictures up on facebook another family party no fight another family party no fight oh blessed this family's all getting along and he he's responsible They're, he's setting them up for spiritual success it says in Verse five, and when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings, according to the number of them all. For Job said it, "May be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts." Thus job did continually. Uh, what, what happened here? Well, the kids would feast, and man, way back where we are now in Bible history, um, they had some form of sacrificial system. Job knew that if he sinned or his children sinned, he could bring an animal sacrifice. and uh, you know, there was no temple or tabernacle, but somehow he knew he could offer that to the Lord. He was acting as the priest of his home. Uh, and man, you have to understand that God sees you as the senior pastor of your house. You are the one who stands and intercedes on behalf of your children in the highest and heavenly courts. There Job was, maybe my kids blew it. Notice that he didn't list anything specifically like, you know, they're fighting again, you know, or, uh, he didn't even have anything specific. He just, like, precautionary, was like, "Well, you know what? Just in case, I'll, I'll, uh... before my kid blows up his life, you know what? Just in case, I'm going to go in and pray for him, pray for all of them, offer up a little sacrifice, and uh... yeah, and I'm going to send and have them consecrated. What does that mean? Ceremonial washing was important in the Old Testament. They would use some sort of a physical washing of the hands or the body." As a symbolic way of showing God that they wanted to be holy in his presence. Okay, the, the washing didn't do anything for their soul, but it was that was their way of showing their faith. Father, I, I need my sins washed away. I want to be holy in your presence. So he would send and have his kids washed and purified in case they slipped in their hearts, you know, and, and curse God or did anything irreverent. What a godly guy! He's managing his business well. He's managing his home well. His kids are getting along. He's loaded. His business is thriving. And it just makes you uh, wonder, how are you doing at managing your home before the fire? Uh, Fathers in particular, are you praying fervently for your kids before there's a crisis? Just in case, Lord, I'm going to offer them up to you tonight. Forgive them for their sins. Wash them clean. Remind them of your truth. Are you on your knees interceding for your kids? every night. Job was. I read an article from an old newspaper in the late 1800s that told of a father who was praying for his son. The father was a godly man and his son, even though the father had tried everything, the son had no interest in living a godly life. And he had tried everything to persuade his son, nothing worked. But he kept praying for his child, praying for his son, praying and praying for him. Finally, his son, who was grown, grew ill. His son grew so ill that he could barely speak or move. And uh, lying in his bed there, uh, looking like he was going to die, something changed in that son's heart. He became another man. He was converted to Christ. He got healthy. He got married. He lived a godly life. And the son's own words explained what happened to him in that bed. He said this, My father's prayers Like mountains surrounded me. Wow. He's about to die. He says, My father's prayers, like mountains surrounded me. That happened long before the crisis. How are you doing it, lifting your kids up? Job was on it, he was alert, he was watchful. And I'm just calling on the men of this church to get on your knees for your kids before they go over the falls, before they get the, you get the phone call and find out what happened. Now you get on your face and you intercede for your kids before God. Job had no headaches at work. He had no headaches at home. Stable marriage, thriving family, more money than he could ever imagine. These were the best of times. His soul could have drifted away from the Lord. He could have just passively thought he didn't need God, but he was walking with the Lord. He was godly in everything he did. Well, then it says in verse 6, the setting changes. So if this were a play that was being acted out on the stage, the curtains would come down, and then they would open up, and suddenly we would all be in heaven. So brace yourself, because here we are. In verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, those are angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Notice Satan is listed separately from the angels. He is a fallen angel. You need to know that. It says in verse 7, The Lord said to Satan, God initiates the conversation, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? God brought Job up to Satan. And here in heaven, before his angels, God names the name of a real guy who's walking by faith down on the earth. That is an astonishing reality. That God knows Job by name and is talking to angels about his life and his choices. And Job has no clue this is happening. Heaven is a created place. God fills it with His glory. Angels are created beings. They're His servants. He calls them to account. And here He has these mighty beings. In fact, these angels are still living today and walking the earth. They could tell you about this encounter with God. And God names the name of a human who's impressing Him a success story. Satan's roaming the earth. Looking, and God wants him to see this guy named Job. Wow, we learn a lot here about faith and why we do what we do. It's because we know that God will commend and reward us, and His thoughts should matter the most. You can write this down in your bullets. And number three, seek God's favor above everything. I'm sorry about the typo in the bullets in there. It should have read above. That was my fault. Seek God's favor above everything. should be the highest desire of your heart to wonder what God is thinking of you, what he's saying about you. Now, not in judgment day. And God named Job, commended him in heaven before good and evil angels alike. Hey, whoever you think you are, whatever you think you're worth, God has an opinion of you. And that's all that matters. You can't convince him you're anything that he says you're not. God knows you by name, and he has opinions of your life right now. What would he say if an angel asked him about you? God knows your entire past, he knows your entire present and we can't comprehend it, but he knows your future. His thoughts about you are the most important thing in your life because they're valid and accurate. Whatever you convince other people you are, it doesn't matter because in the judgment day when you stand before God, God will tell you who you are. And that is either going to be the most horrifying moment of your entire existence or it is going to be the most ecstatic moment you've ever known. Because if you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, you'll melt. If you're welcomed into the kingdom of Christ, your joy will never be taken away. But if like Cain, God looks away from you, God wouldn't even look at Cain. God looks away from you and sends you away forever. There's nothing you can do to change that. God's thoughts about you are the most important thing. In 1 Corinthians 4, 3-4, the Apostle Paul, who had a lot of earthly glory before he gave it up for Christ, said this, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Hey, can you honestly say... That it is a very small thing what other people think of you right now. Because usually, when people are walking away from God, if you dig deep enough, you will find there's someone in their life who they're trying to impress other than God. They care the most what that person thinks of them. It could be a friend, it could be, a, it could be someone they're in a romantic relationship with, it could be, but they care the most what that person thinks of them, and so they're willing to walk away from God's opinions to their own doom one day. And whoever that person was who they were trying to please is going to be off in the shadows on Judgment Day when this person stands in the holiest presence of God and gives an account for the choices they made. Then they'll realize that it's not worth it to try and please others. Worry about what God thinks of you. God's opinion is the most important. And God's opinion of Job was very high. Job had passed some pretty big tests, if you think about it. He had more money than you'll likely ever have in your life, comparatively. And it didn't spoil his heart. Sure, you tell yourself, if you just had a little more, your life would be easier or better or more rewarding. And that's false. Money can't give you happiness or security. God can give you that. But we think, oh, if we just had some more, if we just had a little more, the quality of our life would be better. And that's because money lies. Money lies to you and makes promises only God can keep. And if you set your heart on money and riches, you lose God. You can only love one or the other. And Job had all this money in the form of livestock. He was so wealthy, and he didn't let it spoil his heart. That's a big test to pass. Huge test. His kids weren't spoiled. He had 10 of them, and they weren't rich brats. They all got along. He passed the test of family. He raised his kids up, right? Loved his wife and stayed married. I mean, he passed the test of family. That's such a hard one to pass. Yet he did it. He also, even though his kids were awesome, he didn't make his family his idol. His kids didn't become his idol. This is a big one too. His kids didn't replace God as the most primary driving force in his life, which is why he kept saying, I know they're sinful. I know it. I'm going to get a sacrifice and make sure that I cover that sin because they're sinful. They're putting on a good show, but I know them. (laughs) He didn't lie to himself. He didn't live through his kids. He didn't idolize his kids. He passed the test. His work didn't become his idol. His wealth didn't become his idol. His family didn't become his idol. Hey, Job, at this point, is a walking embarrassment to the prince of darkness. And I think when Satan came into the presence of the Lord and God liked Job, filled him with fury. Where were you? Walking around the earth, looking to and fro, just looking around. We know why Satan does that, right? The Bible says that he roams the earth to look for what? Someone to devour. And he's very vague about how things are going down there. And God throws a name out there. Job, what do you think about Job? Because I like him. I don't think Satan can take it. And we can tell by his tone that he doesn't like that God started this conversation. But imagine God commending you among the angels of heaven. Job's family was an embarrassment to the devil. And God started the conversation. Reading on. It says this in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So what is Job saying here? What's he doing He's accusing God of overstating Job's loyalty. So Satan accuses God, in heaven, of lying. You're really overstating this man's allegiance to you. He also accuses God of over-blessing Job, bribing him. Sure, he serves you. Look at everything you've given him. His accusation is, What God has just said about Job is false. He's he's accusing God of lying in heaven about a servant. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. There's the challenge. Uh, Job has no clue this is happening. But God brought up the name Scholars disagree. Well, whose fault is it that Job struggled? Well, it's God's, because he brought the name up. No, it's Satan's, because the Bible, uh, when God talks to Satan, God says, you incited me against him. So the blame falls to Satan, not to God. God brought Job's name up to commend him in the heavens. Satan should have said, bravo, I'm impressed But I've got a few other people who I think that, you know, you need to hear about. Instead, Satan slandered God in the heavens, challenged the faithfulness of God to Job and of Job to God. All right? So Satan incited God. It's Satan's fault what Job is going to suffer. But God allows it because God sees an opportunity, as we have this book in our hands now, for thousands of years to display how awesome he is and to rub Satan's face in the reality that he was dead wrong. Is pretty astonishing. So God took it. It says in verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, this is a haunting verse. All that he has is in your hand. I wonder what Job was doing at that very moment. I don't know. Maybe sleeping. He had no clue that God had just given His whole family, his whole business, into the hand of a being who's like a worse enemy than than anything Tony Stark has to worry about. All right? Anything that came out of Mordor would be better than this. This is an evil angel who's cloaked, and he just got the authority to touch everything in Job's life. Wow. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So you've got this being who is the worst possible villain, all right, and who can stop him? Job can do nothing to stop what this being is about to do to his family and himself. He can do nothing, and yet God says, "Boundary, stop here." And like a dog on a leash, Satan has to stop. That's how strong God is. You will not touch him. He has to agree. So, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Write this down, number four. Get ready because your faith will be tested by fire. It's coming. It's coming. Satan is the adversary or the accuser. He rivals God, his word, and his will in the heavens and on earth. He's the accuser. He challenges the reality of your commitment to Christ. He's a predator. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan thinks God is unfit to rule the heavens, and he's unworthy to rule the earth. And so, he roams the earth trying to drag people away from God. Satan's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, but he has access to your file. God said the name Job. Satan knew exactly what his story was. He knew his rap sheet. He knows your rap sheet. Bill, Eric, Kim, yep, uh-huh, know her, yep. He's not alone. He's got many fallen angels with him. You're outnumbered and outgunned. You could be doing everything right, like Job, and for reasons unknown to you, God can allow a terrible, life stopping tragedy to come into your world. <clears throat> you can do your best to establish your business, and with the nod, a nod of the head, God can crush it all. You can raise your children right to the very best of your ability, and in an instant, all of your work can be undone. We learn from this, we learn the truth and the reality that has always been true on your best and worst days, that only God holds up your life. The best of your efforts, God does not build the house. The best of your efforts, you labor in vain. You cannot hold up your business for a day. You can't keep your bank accounts full for a moment. You can't keep your kids on track for, for a second if God takes his hand off of all of it. He gives permission all of it can be gone by tomorrow. Your life, your livelihood, all of it. So this sobering moment shows us that a man who is more secure and godly and established and joyful than anyone else in the world at that time had God to thank for it. Preach that to yourself before the fire arrives. Because otherwise, the moment that things start falling apart, then you've got to deal with your own pride and self-reliance. How did I not keep my kids on track? How did I not keep them healthy? How did I not keep my business where it should be? Hey, you never could. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. The more you realize, and this, I'm not telling you something that isn't true. The more you realize that it is an (laughs) unavoidable reality that God is in total control of your welfare right now the happier your heart will be when life gets hard. Give yourself no credit apart from him for all the things you enjoy. Also learn that there will be times when your faith will be tested soon. Prepare your heart now. Next week we are having Bring a Friend Sunday. Next week we will learn the part of Job's story And it will resonate with people in your life who are suffering greatly. I wonder in your life who it is that's struggling, who's suffering, who it is that's going through a terrible ordeal, a trial in their relationship, with their health, they've lost a loved one too soon. I don't know who it is, but there are people all around you who need to hear the sermon that will be preached next week. The sermon is going to shake your faith to the core. When you realize what God might allow into your life, you're going to think twice about who He is. It will rattle you what He allowed to happen to Job. It will bother you what He allowed to happen to Job. So I want you to bring friends next week who are suffering because Job's story is going to bless them. And I want to talk to people right now in the room, who maybe you look around in your life and you feel like, that's me, yes. Why has God allowed all of this to happen to me? Listen, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, all of the pain in your life is serving one and only one purpose. God wants you to know how much you need his son, Jesus Christ, that's it. Everything you've lost, all of the bad health news you've received, wherever your money went, whoever's making you miserable, there is one reason God has allowed that. Don't go searching the world to find out why it is. I can tell you it right now. He wants you to know you need his son. He's showing you that now with smaller things because the day is coming when you will stand in his presence. And if you don't have his son right there, you will never get into heaven. You need his son. Your physical pain is showing you you can't do it alone. Your financial pain is showing you you can't do it alone. The pain in your family is showing you you can't do it alone. The conflict in your marriage is showing you you can't do it alone. If you keep trying to do it by yourself to show people you can hold it together you're going to lose everything. All of it. The time for you to humble yourself and admit you need a savior is right now. Right here right now. And I want to give you a chance to do that as we close in prayer. Let's pray.